say this after every conference, but uh, we have a great music team in Port City. No, I don't say that just to get favour with Kate, because she probably wouldn't give it to me anyway. <laughs> I've just offended another one, but that's okay. <laughs> but no, we do. I, I, you know, when you are part of something and you think it's normal, and then you go to somewhere else and you think, oh, either we're not normal or they're not normal, one of the two. And, uh, you know, we have great worship times at conference and that, but, uh, you know, I just like worshipping. Maybe it's because I'm with family and uh, we're here in our own church, but we do have a great team. We've had one for at least 21 years that I've been here, so there must be something God's doing. Amen. This morning, would you like to come with me to a city, one of the oldest cities known to man? It's been uh, had citizens in it for thousands and thousands of years. It's some 25 kilometres northeast of Jerusalem and close to the Jordan River. And the road from the fords of the Jordan River to Jerusalem passed through it and has become a stopping place for Galilean pilgrims to Jerusalem who at the bottom of the Galilee, Sea of Galilee would jump over to the eastern side of the Jordan, come down through Perea and then jump back over to the western side so they didn't have to go through Samaria and be, become unclean by coming in contact with Samaritans. King Herod had his winter palace here. There's a difference in altitude of some 500 metres between Jerusalem and the city. And the city is very dry and very warm, so it makes for a good winter palace. I had to laugh when we were in Vienna last year. The summer palace is about a 15-minute taxi ride from the winter palace. I couldn't quite work that out. <laughs> I would have thought the temperature and the winter, it will be slightly much the same, 10 kilometres away. But anyway... They had lots of money, so they chose to build two palaces. I guess it was convenient because you didn't have to travel far. But no, it was clever of King Herod to do that. In the time it was Christ, it was a very important place, an important city. The city catered to the rich and the powerful. It was like a Monaco of Israel in the time of Jesus. And that city is Jericho. Apart from the rich and famous, it attracted two other types of people, they, were, they came to that city, both for the same reason really. One were the beggars, those who were blind and lame or weren't able to have an income of any kind. There would have been a lot of those sitting around the highways and the byways of Jericho, so I mean, why not be where the money is if you're begging? There's more chance of getting a coin in the bowl than if you're in a town that's not very big or not very wealthy. As I said, they're both after money, these two types of characters. The other one, of course, was tax collectors. Now, why wouldn't you want to be where the money is if you're a tax collector? No good being somewhere where there isn't any money. So tax collectors were the other sort. And I want to look at one tax collector this morning. We've probably all heard of him. Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus. Depends whether you come from Mackay or Mackay. <laughs> so I'm going to call him Zac. He lived in Jericho, according to the word, according to the Bible. And from the little we know, 
And when you read these passages, you're convinced that the Bible was written by men because they give the headlines. They don't give you the details you'd really like. They say that the tax collector called Zach. Yeah, well... <laughs> so we all kind of think about these guys and we always come up with the same story that he probably wasn't a nice bloke. He was probably mean and uh, he was just looking after number one. But probably the obvious reason we think this is because he was a tax collector and he would have probably been collecting taxes for the Romans. Now, as I'm sure we all know, the Romans had taken over Israel and they wanted their money out of the Israelites. So you could imagine how you would feel giving tax to this fellow called Zach so he could give it to the Romans. Not only that, it was apparently it was... Um, quite acceptable among tax collectors to add on the GST to help their retirement fund. So the Romans would want, we want you to charge them $10 for passing through the gate. Okay, I'll put on 15, I'll put on $5. That's probably not 10%, is it? But anyway, to help themselves. So doubly, let's just say Zach wouldn't have been popular. So, one day Jesus is heading through Jericho and Zach hears about this and Zach decides, I'd like to see this bloke. Now, why he comes to that conclusion, again, the male who wrote the story doesn't tell us. I'm kind of guessing that he's heard about this Jesus. Maybe it's like, you know, people want to go and see a celebrity or, you know, we've got... Prince, what's his name, and Princess Thingabob coming soon. And I'm sure there are people who are going to flock to wherever they're going just to see them. Maybe that was Zach's, you know, just he's heard about this Jesus fellow, wonder what he looks like. I'll have a glimpse. I'll be able to say to my grandkids, I saw him, that type of thing. Who knows? Only Zach did. Zach sought Jesus out, but I'm more inclined to think that it was Jesus who sought Zach out. We know Zach made an effort to see Jesus. He, he ran past the crowd. He found a tree to climb up So because he, he apparently he was only a little bloke. So he was able to climb up the trees. The trees were no, around that area apparently very easy for climbing. So he was able to get above the crowd to have a look. But I think it was Jesus that sought him out. If you ever had, and I'm sure you have read or heard about Luke 15, there's three stories in Luke 15. A man loses a sheep, a lady loses a coin, and a father loses a son. The man goes out into the wilderness and searches for his sheep until he finds it. He brings it home and there's great rejoicing with his friends that he's found his one lost sheep. The lady searches the house from top to bottom until she finds the coin that she was lost and she celebrates with her friends that she's found a coin. A father searches daily the horizon looking for his son that was lost and when he is found there is great rejoicing. Isn't it wonderful that God chases us 
I'm sure many of you have uttered the words sometimes that I found Christ. Well, I beg to differ. I think Christ found you. I'm, that really excites me to think that God would chase after Marianne. <laughs> and I'm so glad he did. You'll notice that the first thing that Jesus does is call out his name. Hey, Zach! How did he know his name? I just thought of that. He's wandering around this city and there's a guy up a tree and he knows his name. Why don't they explain these things? He called his name. Zach, make haste and come down for today. I want to stay at your place. I want to have lunch. See, Jesus knew the importance of a name. In the Gospel of John in chapter 10, it says that he calls his sheep, that's Jesus, he calls, he's the great shepherd, he calls his sheep by name. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now there's an interesting side thought. We tried to lead them in, but Jesus leads them out of the sheep pen. You're sitting in the sheep pen this morning. Are we listening to Jesus' voice? Are we hearing him call us out? Saying his name made all the difference. Jesus told Zach. I know you and I'll lay some claim to you. I kind of think Jesus wanted a relationship with Zach. Jesus called him to himself. He didn't call him to the Ten Commandments or some creed or some church. All good. But it's not what... Christ wanted with Zach. He wanted to have a relationship. One time, sometime during the conference with Ben and I think the two boys, we were talking and we got on to things about our Christian language and the things that you know, that's happened in the past. And you know, one of them was the, the thing about you know, how many souls have you saved this week? You know, what have you done? You know, it's like you know the gun gunslinger when they shoot someone, they put a notch on the belt. You know, how many notches have you got on the belt today or this week? Have you saved anybody? Get the kill, but don't worry about the relationship. That doesn't really matter. Or getting them into heaven. You know, the truth is, I learnt something in Bible college. <laughs> apart from Sandy loving me that is two things that was more important I guess you ain't gonna save nobody God saves people you ain't gonna save nobody 
But in his grace, he lets us help. Isn't he good? Much better to have relationships with people to show them God's love. And that can be a challenge to us church people. There's some faces here today that I, I don't know. I don't, unlike Jesus, I don't know your name. Maybe you're not a regular churchgoer. Maybe you're not even a believer. So can I ask you to cut us some slack because we're really not good with associating with you because we get told all this stupid stuff that we shouldn't have any part of the world. Yes, we should. We should be in the middle of the world. We hear things like, don't be unequally yoked with the world. That doesn't mean you can't talk to your workmate or go out with them to the bar after work and have a lemonade. <laughs> oh, but I, they swear and drink and, and they tell dirty jokes. So did I and I'm your pastor. <laughs> I hope you heard the did. I'm trying very hard not to anymore. I did that. And if it wasn't for some really nice, non-judgmental, loving Christians who I had a very close relationship, who tear me up every time I talk about them, I'd still be in the bar drinking, telling dirty jokes. Yeah, but... Those non-church people, they mock God. They don't care about God. They don't love God. Well, that's okay. They don't have to. We do. And we really love and appreciate God. They should see that. It's not up to them. In this story with Zach, they, the church people, said something like, he's going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. One of those horrible things that you was, that I was at one time. But I like Jesus' answer. For the Son of Man, that is Jesus, has come to seek and save the lost. Not to be concerned whether they have a drink or maybe they even smoke a cigarette or tell dirty jokes, some of which are, sadly I still find quite funny. <coughs> but Jesus must have had a thing for tax collectors. Because in another chapter in Luke, he had lunch with a fellow called Levi who was a tax collector and who had lots of tax collecting mates. And he hung out with sinners. I didn't really know there was a difference between tax collectors and sinners, but apparently there is. And again, he was accused. And he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. 
Sometimes when you're hanging out with a person who doesn't believe in God, you might lose the discussion when you're talking about things of God. For those who went to the chappy thing last night, they had a movie called Wonder. And a young fella started his first day of school in grade five or something. He'd been homeschooled. And the class precept was, when given the choice between being right or being kind, choose kind. Personally, I'd rather lose an argument and keep a relationship. Because arguments come and go. Because you never know where that, argu that argument, no. no. That relationship would be a better word. Where it may lead. In 2015, in October, I took Sandy on a holiday to play football. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> and you young people didn't think I was romantic. We went to Tasmania and I was in the over 50 group <laughs> and my coach was a fellow I played with here when I was playing Masters AFL and we had the first game in Hobart and we finished the game and we're sitting in the change rooms and sitting around and he, he came up and the normal, you know, how you, how'd you pull up after the game? Yeah, pretty good, not too bad, not too sore. And then he started telling me about himself and his family. That his brother's a Baptist pastor and I think he was brought up sort of in and out of the Baptist church and saying how you know, he used to drink a lot and he sort of got over that and he doesn't do that much anymore. And, and he said, so how did you get into what you're doing? So I just shared briefly my testimony and we chatted a bit more and I went and had a shower and get outside and said, where have you been? Well, you should have known I was about my father's business. <laughs> to quote the words of someone in the Bible. Let's <laughs> see, if every week down at Boyne Island, if I had have been having arguments with him and winning the arguments, I probably wouldn't have got... I'd love to say the next day I talked to him again and he got saved and no. And I lost contact with him, even up here. I haven't been able to get onto him. But that's okay because God is bigger than me. So don't worry about losing the argument. There was a great statement. I'm getting lots of stuff out of the movie last night. In the movie, and it says, The things we do outlast mortality. The things we do are like monuments that people build to honour heroes after they've died. They're like the pyramids that the Egyptians built to honour the pharaohs. Only instead of being made of stone, they're made out of the memories people have of you. What memories are the sinners in your world have of you. The thing is, showing God's love will top winning an argument any day. Or should I say discussion. 
the atheist, the agnostic, the Buddhist, the Hindu, the whatever they want to call themselves, they can't beat genuine love. Hey, Zach, Jesus yells, come down, mate, let's do lunch. Another side issue. Remember I said Zach climbed up a tree. Zach was a tax collector. They, I read one commentary that thought he was possibly a um, head-like tax collector, so he was the head of the tax department in Jericho. So, much as he was disliked, he would have had a reputation. And I'm sure that wouldn't include climbing trees like a child. But what does the Bible say? No. Well, it did say he climbed a tree, that's true. But Jesus said to some, some of his mature disciples when some young children came to him, who they wanted to shoo them away. And he said, no, 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 no. Because unless you've got simple faith and you're not worried about your reputation or whatever, if you're like that, you'll enter the kingdom of God. So here's Zach. He's climbed this tree. He's not, care. He's not worrying about what the crowd are thinking. He wanted to see Jesus. Anyway, sometime during their time together, whether it was during lunch or during the afternoon or whenever they were talking together, Zach looks at Jesus and says, Hey, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusations, I will restore it fourfold. Wow, that's a big call, isn't it? There goes the retirement fund. But you think that's a big call? A bigger call is what Jesus says next. Do we know what it is? Today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Zach said, I give half of my goods to the poor and if I have anything, taken anything from anyone by false accusations, I restore fourfold. Jesus said, you're saved. Hang on. There was nothing in there about... How do we do it? Father, I thank you that I come before you now and I forgive... Who's done a sinner's prayer? I'll put my hand down because I haven't. But that... That can't be right. He didn't follow the right procedure. All he did was say he's going to give to the poor and give back to those he cheated. And he saved. You know, the New Testament guys, they weren't real good at doing things by procedure, were they? Like we like people to do. Hands up if you or anyone you know have been walking to Damascus and have been blinded by a bright light and had Jesus talk to you? No? Okay, we'll try another one. How many of you or know someone who's had a broken leg and you were going to a meeting and you couldn't get in so your mates took you up to the roof, dug a hole through the roof and lowered you into the guest speaker 
And the guest speaker says, your sins are forgiven because of the faith of your mates. Whoa. Whoa. I'm only doing this because James is away. I'll be in trouble if he was listening. <laughs> you know, I reckon if Jesus says somebody's saved, I'm not going to argue. But let's look a bit more at what Zach has done. Who in English class, the teacher used to say, read between the lines? Who used to say, like me, there's nothing between the lines? <laughs> What's his statement actually saying? I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. What's he saying? In the book of James, there's a discussion. The writer's talking, and it's about someone who's talking about faith and someone talking about works. And the writer says, I will show you my faith by my works. Zach is showing his new faith by his works. There has been a change of heart in Zach. The old Zach has gone, and the new Zach has come. An encounter with Jesus will change your life. Imagine the buzz around Jericho. The next day, Zach's walking up and down the main street. Beggars everywhere. Here, have a hundred. Imagine. Isn't that? Isn't, that's got to be. Looks like him, but it can't be. Two neighbours in a side street, leaning over the fence, having a chat. He said, you won't, you won't believe what happened this morning. What? You know that Zach, that tax collector? Yeah. He dropped around and gave me $100. He said I'd overcharged him. He'd overcharged me. What? Zach, the tax collector? No way. What was Zach doing? Zach was being a light to his world. He'd had an encounter with Jesus. His heart had been changed. Did you know Jesus said to his disciples one day, you are the light of the world. I'm sure most of us claim that we are disciples of Jesus here this morning. So guess what? You are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Jesus also called himself the light of the world. In John chapter 8 and 9, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am and you are. We're the light of the world. But how can I be the light of the world? When we understand how much God has done for us, we will be that light. It won't matter whether we win the argument about God or not. The movie Wonder got me some good ideas for this morning. In a science class, they were shown how when light travels through something, it changes direction. 
Like light, truth refracted through me must become grace. Ben Govan was amazed at my road rage style on the sunny coast. Because we were, Friday we were leaving and we had to go out of our, we had to go from Maroochydore to Forest Glen so that Ben could get a, oh, smoky, get a smoky. It was well out of our way, but I thought this is better than putting up with Ben for six hours going an hour out of our way. I did the maths. So we'd fueled up at what I thought when I did my thing on the Google Maps, which was the cheapest petrol station on the sunny coast, which obviously that was yesterday's news because it wasn't the cheapest when we got there. So we had to backtrack to get to Ben's bakery. So, of course, we've, we're coming up this road and there was, we had to go to the left, two lanes to the left, and the right, of the two lanes, the right side one only had room for about two cars, and I thought, well, I don't want to get behind them because that'll block the two lanes that are going straight ahead, so I'll go on the left side. Who, who has a gift of getting in the wrong lane? <laughs> come on, I'm not the only one, come on. And, but... I looked in the rear vision mirror and nobody else worried about blocking the traffic behind them because there was a big line of cars on that lane there and I thought, I bet as soon as I get around here I'm going to have to turn right from that lane. Sure enough, within 50 metres, so I put my indicator on and I'm right up the back side of this other car because it's sort of traffic everywhere and this silly woman... I'm sorry, that's not a sexist comment. It was just the fact that she was a woman and she was being silly. <laughs> if it was a man, I would have said the man, stupid man. So don't get worried about the lady thing. <laughs> she, where's thought, that's my car, we're, we're there and I, I need to get across. And she gets to there and stops. And I can't get out. And I think, what is this stupid woman doing? Get out of the way. Either go past me or go no, get back behind me. And then within 50 metres, I've gone from that to... The, oh, the, she was probably running late for work. She tried to help me out, but she obviously didn't realise that I couldn't get out and that small again. And I brought her all around. I think she's probably having a bad day. And Oh, well, there we go. We've got her in. All's well. <laughs> ben goes, that's amazing. <laughs> You've just gone from... <laughs> to. Oh, the poor lady. <laughs> so that's actually my style of road rage. See, we, we like the road rules and like being cut off or people not giving you a gap or whatever. We know the rules, don't we? And we know the law of God because we can read it. Unfortunately, we have a tendency to enjoy enforcing the law on others through our opinions and our we're right because we're on God's side. Instead of allowing that law to be refract refracted like, like well, who wrote that? And be seen as grace when it comes out the other side. 
Who's old enough to remember Pink Floyd? Come on, put you. You're that old. Oh. <laughs> you remember the little, what do you call them? Triangle, isn't it? And the light, the light comes in one beam and then it goes out the other side as a rainbow. Many different colours and it's been changed and it's changed directions. That is what we have to do with the law. We know it, but it's got to come out as grace to others. Because I'm sure it says somewhere in the Bible that we are no longer under law, but under grace. So let's not put others under the law. Our belief, our doctrines or our truth must be seen as grace. Being the light of the world is a great honour and a privilege, but it also comes with great responsibility. Can I have the music team back up, please? Jesus never challenged us to become salt or light. He simply said that we are. And we are either fulfilling or failing that given responsibility. I don't know about you, but I think I'd like to fulfill it. It's a challenge. It can be uncomfortable. But as I said, some wonderful people in a little town called Karoi were God's light to me. And I responded. Was, they, they knew their Bibles, they knew them back to front, upside down, sideways, whatever way. Never once preached to, never, one, never argued about anything I believed. They just loved me. We need to do the same. We need to love those that don't know the hope that comes through Christ. Because there's many in our, I'm sure our families, our communities, that don't have a hope in life. Even some that are doing it well, but they don't have a hope. They just think, well, I'll do the best I can and that'll be it. Jesus has challenged us. You are the light. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you for the wonderful grace that you have poured out upon us, Lord. Father, I know there's been many times in my life where I probably haven't shown the grace that perhaps, or not perhaps, I know I could have. Missed opportunities where I've covered my light. Father, I thank you you give each and every one of us a greater understanding of the grace that you have poured out on us and that we would be we would display that grace 
to those around us that they may come to know you. Father, I know sometimes it's uncomfortable when you're sitting with people who don't know you and but help us to get past that. Just help us to remember that at one time we were far from you. And they are, they are too, and, but through us they can be drawn to you. Father, this morning we honour you. We give you praise. We give you thanks. And I still pretty well don't understand why you want us to help you, but that's what you want us to do. And I thank you for that privilege. And I thank you for the responsibility that we have. And I thank you that you've given the Holy Spirit to us to guide and to lead us in all areas of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, team.